This is my church, a place where we're all in recovery of some kind. We can all come as we are, broken, addicted, confused. We can come with questions, and God meets us all here. He begins to transform us into something new, healed, free. When I think of my church, I think of a place I can walk in and people can say, Hi, Lonnie. <laughs> people care about you, and they love you. We are becoming passionate followers of His. This is my church. Yay! I love that that video starts with a giggle. I just want my life to start with a giggle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Kelly? I laugh at you all the time. You laugh at me all the time. <laughs> Security. <laughs> all right. My name is John, and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to take a look uh, today at Psalm 127. So if you want to jump into that, if you have the Version Bible app, that's a good way to go, because if you go to the section that says more, and you click on events, then you will find Lakeside Church listed there, and then all of our notes and every bit of the Bible that we're referencing today is loaded on there. If you would like to borrow a Bible, we have a bunch stacked outside there, and if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible and you would like one, then just go ahead and take one of those. Just take it and run. Just don't even look back. It's okay. It's all right. You're not going to get in trouble. So we're going to look at Psalm 127 today. Uh, it's a beautiful poem. Uh, it's a song of a sense. It's written by Solomon. It says this. And if you're wondering what the ABAB thing is, uh, a few weeks ago when we started this series, we talked a lot about Hebrew poetry and how this whole thing is kind of lined up with thought rhymes, not necessarily word rhymes, but thought rhymes. And if you'd like to learn more about that, then I highly recommend you go back and you listen to the first three messages in this series because we unpack that a lot more than I'm going to today. But this is what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. You can see that thought rhyme. In vain, you rise up early. Lots of vanity happening in this one. And stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So Psalm 127 is part of a group of psalms called the Psalms or the Songs of Ascent. There's 15 of them. They begin in Psalm 120 and they go through 134 in the Old Testament. And they're songs that pilgrims would sing on their way to Jerusalem as they were going to celebrate feasts. So they would cease from their work, they would move to Jerusalem, and they would ascend to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was over the hill, it was over there. So we're ascending to Jerusalem, the place where God and his people are. And it's also called the Psalm of Ascents because there's this, um, there's this place of prayer, right, where we're, we've got our eyes off of ourselves and our, we're lifting our heads to look to God. And so that, in that way, it's an ascent. It's also some, sometimes these psalms are called the songs of steps because uh, pilgrims, we're told, we have this in, in written tradition, they would stand on the steps of the temple and as they ascended the steps of the temple to worship, they would sing these psalms. And so the song of steps, the songs of ascent. And this is what Psalm 127 is. This is the context for this. They're all road trip songs. Um, all of them. In their entirety, all 15 of them together have this sense that something 
is going to happen. Like something good is going to happen. Now, we're in a season like that right now, right? It's Advent season. We know what's happening in the next week. Christmas is coming. Everybody's excited. It just feels like Disneyland once a year. You know, it's just so exciting. Jesus is coming. And so we look forward to that. And that's kind of the, the feeling of what's happening here in these Psalms. Now, let's talk a little bit about Solomon because he's the, he's the writer of this particular psalm. Uh, he wrote a lot of what we call wisdom literature in the Bible, and this is, this is proverbial wisdom. This is uh, stuff that happens uh, that's true about life most of the time, right? And what I mean by that is, like it says, uh, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. He grants sleep to those he loves. And it sounds like God is saying, hey, don't stay up late. Don't rise up early. Like, that's ridiculous. You know, you can't live on that. And you go, but hey, I'm a self-made man. I mean, I pull myself up by the bootstraps and I've built this company and I can survive on three hours of sleep a night. Good for you. That's awesome. So you can beat the system, but only for a little while. I mean, honestly, how long can we go on three hours of sleep at night before we die? And so this is what proverbial wisdom is saying. And, and Solomon was apparently a very wise man. He asked God for wisdom. God granted him wisdom. There's a bunch of wisdom stories in here and a bunch of wisdom words that, that ring true. You know the other thing about Solomon? He blew it, like a lot. Like there were parts of his life where he was just a major doofus. I mean, he was a womanizer. He borrowed things from a king in another land to build the temple and then should have given him a nice gift in return, but really didn't give him much. And the king was like, hey, really? Seriously? After everything I've done for you, this is what you give me? And he talked a lot about, like, taking care of the stranger and the alien being hospitable. And, and then he used slave labor to build the temple. So... I mean, the guy had wisdom, and at the same time, he was a mess, which gives me so much hope, <laughs> right? It gives me so much hope. This is common sense wisdom in this psalm, though. And, and honestly, one of the best ways for us to learn lessons is to look at the stories of God's people throughout history and in the Bible and, and don't do the dumb things that they did. And that's what I do with my life, too, is I look back at the dumb things I did, and hopefully I, I don't repeat them, although sometimes I have. Not you. You're all perfect. You don't repeat the same mistakes. Uh, so there's a psalm about work, and it's a psalm about rest, and it's a psalm about security, it's a psalm about power, it's a psalm about families, and we're going to unpack a lot of that here today. Mrs. Darling was my kindergarten teacher. I wish I would have listened to her. Like, if I just paid attention to that dear woman, then I would have averted so many pitfalls in my life. Uh, for example, she made us take a nap every day. Did you have to do that in kindergarten? So great. Put your head on the desk. And in my class, she had a little music box, and she would, like, give it to somebody. You could sign up. Oh, pick me, pick me. And you get the music box and wind it up, and you'd have to walk slowly around the classroom as everybody had their heads on their desk. And I remember Mrs. Darling saying things like, I know, boys and girls, that you don't want to take a nap now, but one day you will. <laughs> she was right. But work isn't a bad thing. 
I mean, work, work is a good thing. We, we all need to work. And, and in this psalm, God is not saying, hey, stop building, stop working. He's just saying that, you know what, it, it's just not all about you, that there, there's something deeper that needs to happen in the work. Work is not a curse. God didn't plop man and woman in the garden of Eden and say, hey, have fun. Play on the playset, swing, throw rocks in the creek, do whatever you want. And then they blew it, and then he said, oh, now you got to work. That's not, how it, that's not how it happened. He put them in the garden, and he said, work it. Take care of it. Take care of this garden. Nurture it. Nurture your family. Adam, you're going to name the animals. He says, he lets them name the animals. He says, take care of them. And the language that's used in the Old Testament is, is the same language as taking care of a family. He says, be, be husbands and, and wives, you know, of the earth. Take care of it. So work is not a curse. As a matter of fact, the Bible begins with God working in creation, right? He's He's spinning the colors and the dirt and the mud and the ions and electrons and everything, all the magic that needs to happen. And it's very playful, this picture you get of God working in the first six days in the book of Genesis. My friend likes to say that it's a picture of like God making mud pies. There's this you know, drawing a line in the sand, and this is where the land stops and the, and the, the oceans come up to it. And it's super playful. This whole work and play and rest thing is just uh, is a beautiful thing in God's economy. I think sometimes uh, well-meaning people wrongly interpret this passage. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And they interpret it like... You know, it doesn't really matter. What you do doesn't matter. I mean, just, just kick back. It's all right, man. God's got this. God's all in all the details. Well, that is, that is true that God ultimately is in charge, but God requires some things of us. We can't just sit back and expect things to happen. So God requires that you and I work but we go awry here and there with the whole work thing. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, uh, Paul is talking, and he's, he's talking to all of his friends. They showed up in this town, he said, and he's reminding them of all the hard work he did. He says, we loved you guys so much, the apostle Paul says. We love you so much that, that we worked day and night for you. And there's this, there's this feeling in this passage where Paul is going, do you, do you know how hard we worked? Man, it was a tough season. And I think that's the important thing for us is that we need to recognize that hard work, hard work is one thing, but we need to recognize seasons of hard work. Seasons of hard work are okay, but if you're on the treadmill going from hard work to hard work to hard work to hard work, and there's no season of anything in between that, and there's no partnership with God in between that, then things just go weird. I love technology. Anybody have the new iPhone, by the way? I know, you're embarrassed to say. 
No. I want to see it if you do. No, listen, I love technology. It's so great. But I always think it's funny how uh, the word easier comes up with technology. Like, this is going to make your life easier. No, it doesn't. Technology doesn't make it. It makes it neater. It makes it cooler. It makes it fun. It, it, there's, there's different ways to, to do mundane tasks, maybe. But it doesn't really ultimately make our life easier. I think that every bit of technology we have should have like batteries not included legally having to be stamped on it. And then also legally like, hey, buddy, when you open this, it's still going to be the same stuff. Like it's still going to mess with your head. It's still going to be difficult. I texted my assistant the other day and I said, remember that day I punched my computer in the face and threw it out the window? Because that's what it felt like that day. I, I was having password problems. And look, technology doesn't make our life easier, but, but that's really not the goal anyway, is it? I mean, does God want our lives to be easier? Is that the end goal or is there something different? 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, now this sounds, this sounds different. This sounds different than things just being easy. Like, there's something that could happen where we have a relationship with God where we're walking with him and we can find a contentment in what we do. I want to be there. I want to be in that place where work is working, where work is doing what it's supposed to do, not robbing me of everything else. But we allow ourselves to get there, honestly, in most cases. I think if we all were to pause and we were to, we were to start with the mindset that you and I serve and, and work at the pleasure of King Jesus, we'll have a totally different perspective. And God wants us to enjoy the work. He wants us to enjoy the journey. Psalm 128, the very next psalm that comes after this one we just read, it says this in the first two verses. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. God wants work to be a blessing, and he wants it to be and feel prosperous for us. You know where it all goes bad for all of us? We're all cut from the same cloth right here. This is where it goes bad. Is when we begin to find our identity in the thing that we produce. In the stuff that we do. That's where it all goes bad. But we are not what we do. And that's what the psalm is saying. That all the way through it, we are not what we do. And it, it's not only like the work that you get paid for that the Bible is referring to here. It, it's not only that. Like, if you work in the home, if you're a mom, and you're, take caring, you're taking care of your, your household and, and, and kids and and, and let's face it, taking care of your husband, who is also a child. Like, if, if you're taking care of all of that, like, 
in this season and you're, you're, you're trying to, yeah, I'm talking to you, man. It's all right. She elbowed you on purpose. Uh, listen, in this season, you're trying to make everything perfect, right? The meals and the, and the, and the decor and, you, and you're getting all the shopping done because your husband doesn't do the shopping. You do it. And, and, and you're buying all the gifts for everybody and you're trying to make everybody happy. You just want everybody to be happy. And you spent $75 on this kid, so you got to spend $75 on this kid, right? To make it fair. <laughs> I got an amen from that. That's awesome. Right? Right? And there's, there's just so much pressure. Moms. At your very, very core. At the very deepest part of who you are, you're a child of the king. Period. And he loves you. Regardless of the performance. And it's okay. Love your family and take care of them and do all of that stuff that you do so well. But just, just don't, get, don't get it messed up up here. Guys, I, I don't know if you're single, married, whatever. Whatever it is you do, probably picked up some habits along the way, watched, watched dad or other men in your life working hard, nose to the grindstone, maybe raising kids, teaching them sports, doing whatever, whatever you're doing. We're speaking generally here. Whatever you're doing, at your very core, you're, you're a child of the king. You're not your company or your, or your business or your political stance or, or whatever the thing is. You're, you're a child of the king. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, to do it heartily to God. And uh, I think hearty work looks like a, a partnership with God. When we don't have a, a partnership with God, and it's all about us, we have a word for when it goes really bad with work, and it's all about us. We call it workaholism. And man, it is a drug. And we are so good at hiding this addiction. We're so good at it. Especially in this community and in surrounding communities, we're the pretty people. I mean, maybe not, but, you know, I mean, we hide it so well. We have uh, an addiction ministry here called Higher Power. And I know because I've talked to some of you that some don't want to show up in that room, whatever your addiction is, for fear that somebody you know is going to see you. What if I walk in that room and I see a guy or a gal and I coach their kids in soccer? Man. God wants to, he wants to help you take off that mask. Workaholism 
is a funny thing. Like other addictions, it doesn't really live in isolation most of the time. It, it's a gateway drug to many other addictions because you just don't have time to do anything. And so you look for quick fixes. You look for quick fixes to ease your pain. Look for quick fixes sexually. Oh, man, it's a mess. And God is saying here to recognize that he wants to partner with you. These songs were sung when work ceased, right? We're done working, and we're headed to Jerusalem. We're going to sing these songs. And they would be reminders on the road that while the work has stopped, for us, God has not really stopped working. He's always at work. This verse, for he grants sleep to those he loves, can also be translated, while you're sleeping still, God is still working and providing. While you're snoozing away, God is still ultimately in control. He is the builder. He is the watcher. He's the one who brings security. He's the provider. He's the protector. And so he pleads with us through, throughout this entire book about taking a Sabbath, about taking rest. God creates the world in six day. He, he rests on the seventh. Not because he was tired, not because he was exhausted, because he was recreating he was recreating. He was enjoying what he had done. Just like we read in Psalm 128, he was, he was enjoying the fruit of his labor. And God usually doesn't instruct us like, in the things that we do naturally, which is why all through this, he's shouting, <laughs> you know, take a rest, take a rest, take a rest. Take a Sabbath rest. When these people would leave their routine behind of work and go to these festivals, it's not actually like they were leaving one routine for something else. It was that rest was part of the routine. <gasps> what would that be like? What would it be like if rest was part of our routine? And we, we move at such a fast pace and it just keeps getting faster. Now, proverbially speaking here, just, just generally, young men and women like the fast way from point A to point B. Just go the fast way. Just get there. A to B. Young people invented Google Maps that show the red line of traffic, and then the almighty Google reroutes so you don't have to go through that traffic. You can get from A to B super fast. I know this to be true of young men. You know what? But old men are different. Like, it's, it's about the journey. It's about, it's about the trip. How often do we yell at old people behind the wheel? Pick it up. Come on, buddy. It's not that they can't go faster. They just don't want to. And they're comfy with it. Because they've had a lifetime of going fast. This is my time behind the wheel. I must be getting old because my wife is always telling me I'm taking the long way. I, 
want to enjoy the sights. I have a friend who, when I talk about going on a, uh, on a trip, he gets all excited and he pulls out maps. Those paper things? <laughs> and he unfolds it crease by crease. It's painful. gets out a pen. Oh, man, you're going from here to here. You get to see so much stuff along the way. All the stuff you get to go here and here and here and here and here. I'm like, are you crazy? How much time do you think I have? I've got to get here to here like, like yesterday. Like, beat me up, Scotty. Can't wait for that technology. What are you talking about? But if I'm truthful, and I, I think all of us want a little bit of that, that old man map mentality, right? We want to be Clark Griswold. You know, we, we want to stop and see the sights. And this is the difference between a, a pilgrim and a tourist. I want to be a pilgrim. Here's a tourist. Have you ever gone on a cruise? Or you know how they work? Okay. So, you know, you're at sea some days, you're in port some days. And when you stop in port, you, you go to the little trinket shops, you go to where they're trying to sell you everything, you look at everything, and you go, ah, there's nothing really here that I want to buy. And then you get back up on the, on the boat, and then you're out at sea again, and everybody's having a good time, and steel drums, and then you get into the, the next port, and you get off, and you go, and you look at all the trinkets, and you go, ah, there's really nothing here I want to buy, and it's all dumb. And, and then you go back on the boat, and then you're at sea again, and everybody's having a good time, and you do the dance contest by the pool, and everything. Everybody, and then you get to the next port, and then you go, oh, no, shoot, we forgot to buy the kids something. And so you go into the little shop where they're still selling all the same dumb trinkets that they were selling at the other two stops, and you buy a bunch of crap, and you take it home, and, 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 and that's, how, that's how tourism works. But pilgrims are different. Pilgrims see the journey as full of holy moments. I, I want to be that. I want to be a pilgrim. I want to go on holiday. It comes from two words, holiday, holy day. That's where it came from. I love how my friends in Europe still go on holiday. My friends in Canada still go on holiday. But here in North America, uh, in the States, we, like, we go on vacation. We vacate. <laughs> we vacate the office. I want to go on holiday. I want to see every moment as holy. I want to live like God is around every corner waiting to surprise me. Not scare me like Sean did the other day and got me on video, by the way, saying a bad word, and I told him that he can't put it on Facebook. Like, it was super, like, but, but, but surprising me in all the, all, the, all the good ways. You know, you get to this, this passage at the end, and it starts talking about children, and it actually seems kind of like a, like a speed bump. But it's not really, because poetically speaking, this is what's happening. The first part of this whole poem is talking about building a house and building a city. And the last part is talking about building a family. 
Now, I don't know if you have children or not, if you want children, if you're trying to have children, but whatever, the, the concepts are all, all the same here at the end, and, and we'll kind of unpack this a little bit. In ancient Israel, good, bad, right, or wrong, this is how it was. If you had a big family, and especially if you had a lot of sons, you were seen as powerful. And so that is the, the picture here. We've been talking about powerful people building big houses and powerful people building you know, cities and taking care of them, and now powerful families is what we're talking about. And, and a, if you had a powerful family and you had lots of sons to stand with you at the city gate, the place where they did uh, bartering, the place where they held court, and the, the place where they talked business and had land transactions and, and all of that, if you were a powerful person and you were standing with all your sons, nobody was going to mess with you, right? Now, if you have a, a bunch of sons who are in a place where they can provide security for you, and they've got your back. How old are your sons at that point? They're, they're older, right? They're not little kids. They, they've got enough where they can, they can stand up for you. And you too are older in that scenario. And I think if you have kids or you're around kids or you have any influence on children, recognize that, that you play a role in helping to build them up and helping to build them like you, like you build a city, like you build a house. You can build a household. Every one of these kids that was standing on stage today, every single one of them, moms, dads, they're going to be lying on some doctor's couch someday and they're going to be talking about you. It's true. It happens for all of us. Don't make work one of the things they're talking about. Unless it's amazing. Like, what would it be, you know, if somebody was counseling your child as an adult and said, tell, tell me about growing up. And they say, well, my mom, my dad, they taught me a good work ethic. But it also was kind of mixed with this play and, and rest because they had this contentment with what God was doing in their life. I mean, wouldn't that be a good story? And that's why, that's why children are, are part of this passage here. Look, my name's John, and I am a workaholic. <clears throat> Hello. Now, I'm, I'm better than I was 10 years ago, and you can ask my wife this. She's actually, she's the barometer for this. I think she would say this. I'm better than 10 years ago, better than I was 20 years ago, better than I was 30 years ago, and I'm barely over 30, so that's all, all the history you need. Um, it's, getting, it's getting better. You know, we play a lot more now, but it's... It's a struggle. Because I've made all, all those mistakes and still make some of them. One of the things that we've recognized in our family, I think like they recognized in this psalm and they recognize in this journey with these road songs towards Jerusalem is you recognize the seasons and, and, and then you make seasons of rest part of your routine. 
You sit down with a calendar with your spouse if you're married, or you sit down by yourself if you're single, and you plan out the calendar for the year, and you go, hey, there's going to be some seasons of, of tough stuff, but this is where we play. This is where we rest. And if you have kids, you tell them about the seasons, and you say, hey, for the next month, year, 18 months, mom, dad, going to be working super hard, but this is what's happening at the end. Give them something to look forward to, and if you have vacation, take it or make it. I know, I know. 175 of you right now want to run up to me and say it would be nice. It would be nice. I'd really like to take the time off, but I just don't have it. I'm going to take a risk here and say I told myself that lie for a long time too. It's a lie. Don't, don't buy into the lie that you're selling yourself anymore. You, you can make it happen. It might be super hard. It might be super hard to figure it out, but you've got to figure it out so you don't die. And for, for your family, set yourself up for success. For me, early on in our marriage, because I was a musician, it looked like never taking my guitar home. Who would have thought that my wife didn't love me playing songs all the time? <laughs> I left the guitar at work. I didn't bring it home. It might seem weird, but that, was a, that instrument was a tool of what I did for a living, so I had to, right? Now it looks like leaving my computer at the office and not taking it home all the time. Well, sometimes I take it home, but we talk about the seasons. And we're not always perfect at this. I'm not always good at this, but my wife knows that sometimes there's all-nighters. But when it's not there, I don't, I don't want to tempt myself. Like I want to leave it back at the office because if it sits in my man purse at the side of my chair, it's, it whispers to me like a siren pulling me into the rocks. John. <laughs> Kelly's sitting here, so I get to mess with him. It's fine. Yeah, it does. Set yourself up for success. Find out what your, your boundaries are. I think that's, that looks, that's what it means to partner with God, is being aware of that. If you have kids, if you have kids, build into them. If you have influence on any children around you, build into them. And, and, and help them to not have the same pitfalls that, that maybe you had or have. What if we exchanged uh, the saying, you can't outwork me for you can't outplay me? Wouldn't that be great? What a wonderful world it would be. And we can do that. And I think partnership with God looks like that. And then finally, and this, this is the most important, like whatever you're doing, whatever the routine Whenever you're working, you, you spend time with God and you invite him into it. Everything is spiritual. Everything. God wants to be part of, of all of it. Lord, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace, for your patience. Lord, you want good things for us. You want us to enjoy the fruit of our labor. 
this isn't a, this isn't a bummer what we're talking about. This is great stuff. Like there's, there's a package that's just waiting to be unwrapped for many of us, Lord, that is, is full of good things for us. Maybe for us and our, our spouse, maybe for us and our family, our kids. And especially in this season, Lord, when everybody's a little drained, I heard, <laughs> I heard Brad say something about Christmas and the whole crowd hushed earlier. You know, it's like we're, we're tired. Lord, can you remind us of that like childlike joy going into the season and make us full of expectation and let us see you everywhere and, and, and lean into this season, Lord, because you're, you're worth it. And you say we're worth it. Thank you. You want to build into us. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. We love you for that. Amen.